It was supposed to be my daughter's first day of kindergarten. That was it. That was what the entirety of Tuesday, September 8th was supposed to be about. That was before a fire started, before it grew big enough that, if you only saw it from the corner of your eye, the resulting smoke column would have been easy to confuse with a tornado. Like many, my kindergartner's first day experience had been stunted because of the ongoing pandemic. She'd traded a classroom for a small walk-in closet in our home, Chromebook open and participating in a classroom Zoom. Not long after her short session ended, our power went out. Not long after that, our house was placed under a level 3 evacuation. My family spent the night at a friend's house in North Medford. The glow from the flames was still very visible, casting the night at the south end of town a deep tangerine hue. I drove south to Ashland on Interstate 5 as soon as the freeway opened back up. The images of destruction just off the road alone were almost beyond description. It was a moonscape of foundations and vehicles and utility poles, cast black and gray, smoke still drifting upwards at numerous sites along the way. I'm more than a week removed now, and the effects of this 3,200-acre fire, the Almeida fire, now fully contained, have shimmered into focus. Countless homes and businesses have been lost, mostly in Phoenix and Talent. At least three have died. The list of the missing continues to ebb and flow, new additions being added to the list just about as fast as police have been able to track down others. Police allege at least part of the fire was intentionally set, and a suspect remains in the Jackson County Jail on $5 million bail. Stories like this have a way of tabling almost everything else. Even the ongoing pandemic seems a distant second. We've covered this story since in a variety of ways. Articles, obviously. Video. But I think the main connection, the main artery between us and everywhere else in the world, is the images. Scenes like the ones I saw while driving on the freeway. The photos of this devastation, Mail Tribune photographers Jamie Lush, Denise Barada, and Andy Atkinson captured, have been crucial in the full understanding of just how horrific, how devastating this fire turned out to be. Today on The Insider, I'll be speaking to them about covering an event like this. What it was like to document destruction on this scale. This is Ryan File, and you're listening to The Insider. Mail Tribune photo editor Jamie Lush first heard about the fire from editor-in-chief Justin Umberson. A grass fire in Ashland. I think it was about 11.20 or so, 11.30. So I'm okay, let's, let's go to work. I grabbed my fire stuff and got on I-5 and off to Ashland I went, not really knowing anything until I got just a little ways out of Medford. Pretty much right away you could see a, a huge giant mushroom cloud right over Ashland covering fires long enough to know when a fire is something and when it's nothing and this was clearly something and also the the news reports a few days before had been that the weather was going to be you know the worst fire danger we've seen in 50 50 years they had told us that looked like real really bad fire conditions 
So I saw the huge mushroom cloud over Ashland and knew what the fire conditions were. And I called Justin right away and I said, you know, wake up the Calvary, get everyone you can on this. This is going to burn down some houses. This is going to be bad. I mean, it was it was obvious it wasn't going to be a good a good situation. He headed south on I-5 and got close to exit 14, the South Ashland exit. And that's where traffic was snarled up. I was stuck in traffic right there. And I immediately like, well, crap, I'm not going to get any photos stuck in traffic. So I think I called Denise, I think I called Andy, or the other the other photographer, and uh, let them know that I was going to need some help. I'm stuck in traffic. This is going to be a big story. Let's, you know, all systems go. Let's get after this. So I got out of the car there on I-5 just to sort of assess the situation and see if I was going to be able to get some pictures from I-5 and also see what the safety scenario thing was for me. I could see the wind was was really bad, like, you know, the kind of wind that knocks you over. So I was assessing my safety and when I, when I parked, I made sure I parked with enough space in front of me, you know, when the traffic was backed up there on I-5 to be able to turn around to not get boxed in. So I was thinking about all this and I got out and I saw other cars starting to, to turn around and go the wrong way on I-5. Like, well, wow, this, that's not good. And I could see smoke starting to, you know, completely envelop the area that we were in. And then I could start to see fire on both sides of I-5 coming our way. And it was, the smoke got so dense and so thick, it was really hard to tell just what was going on, except the wind was just, just ripping through there. More cars started turning around and then uh, a trooper turned around and sort of waved us, like follow us. So I was like, okay, it's time to go. <laughs> Jamie flipped around and started driving the wrong way on I-5, keeping pace with the trooper who normally would have pulled him over and cited him for such an act. And we got out of there, you know, we bugged out. And while we were doing that, I, I filmed with the cell phone and you can see on the footage, just the wind that was ripping through there and the smoke and the chaos that it was. And, you know, truly it was, it was scary. It was really, really, really obviously a bad fire situation and I wasn't in a good spot. So I was happy to get out of there. And, you know, once I was out of there, I was really out of the game. I felt like, boy, I'm not gonna be able to get back and actually cover this. Denise's power went out before she received the call from Jamie. Then she heard the sirens. She ran outside her Talon home and saw the smoke column. She told Jamie she was headed toward the smoke. Took the back roads down Talent Avenue because I figured Highway 99 was close at that point and um, was able to get to the corner of 99 in Valley View, uh, North Ashland, where they'd already had a roadblock set up and parked my car by the Jackson Well Springs and started walking. She walked up Valley View Road. At that point, the flames were already burning through a mobile home park near the exit 19 overpass. I stayed there for a couple of hours uh, because I knew I couldn't go north at that point after talking again with Jamie and just tried to record what was going on. Middle of the afternoon, I went back down and realized that access into talent at that point was gone and that everyone was supposed to be evacuating their houses and uh, I couldn't. And I went up to the, the sheriff's deputy that was at the roadblock and said, well, I know Talon Avenue is still open. Can I, can I go up there and go get my cats? She said to me, no, you chose to be a looky-loo instead of evacuating your house. So too bad for you. 
And that's when I lost it uh, at that point um, and got in a shouting match with her because as a photojournalist and as a news person, to me, that was an incredible insult, both um, professionally and personally, because I've never been a looky-loo in my life and I never would be. I was doing my job. And so I sat at Wellsprings for a while, got a few more images because the fire kept flaring up on the green springs and I thought for sure it was gonna blow the road and, and go into the Wellsprings and it didn't. And eventually I just went, I gathered my stuff and went down to Eagle Mill Road where my husband was manning a roadblock and keeping people out of that burned area. Quick side note, Denise's husband works for Jackson County Roads. And I helped him work it until the nighttime because there wasn't anything else to do and there wasn't any place to go. Andy Atkinson started his pursuit of photos at the other end of the Rogue Valley. I, call, I got a call from you about a fire at Central Point um, out the Expo Pond. So I rolled out there and by the time I got there, they had it all in control. But at the same time, the Almeida fire started. Um, I made my way all the way to Talent, took off on the Talent exit and made my back way on the north side of the freeway to Valley View Road and exit 19 in Ashland. And by that time, the smoke on that was moving so hard. Uh, the wind was so strong. So I tried to make my way around towards Butler Creek Road towards the Ashland uh, greenhouse. And I was trying to find a vantage point to capture everything then. And by the time I got to a vantage point, the fire had moved over on the north side Knoll, there's a hill there with a few homes on it, and the fire rolled right in between two homes. And once that fire came around there, I was like, I got to get out of here. I mean, everything was, I knew everything was going to get closed off, and I don't want to be another nuisance to the first responders. You know, I was trying to find a safe way. It was just unreal. You had this brown, blackish cloud over you, and the wind was moving so fast, it was like watching a slow-motion tornado move right up the freeway corridor. Jamie, just removed from the traffic snarl and approaching flames, took back roads through Talent. He was back in a rhythm, taking pictures, working, documenting. But he was also quite cognizant of how close he'd just come to disaster. I was definitely really careful. I mean, there were opportunities where I could have gotten really close to the fire and right into the action. But I was just knew that. I had to be safe and not, you know, become part of the story, not get trapped myself and not get in the way. So I, I got in there while sort of, you know, holding back at the same time and covered it more with my telephoto and spent several hours, you know, trying to find angles. It was so smoky and the smoke was so thick. Most of the spots I were in, even though I was right, you know, there at the fire, you just couldn't see anything. So I had to kind of back off in a sense in order to get a little bit of fresh air and also just to be able to see. If you were right up in there, you just couldn't, at least on that side of that, you couldn't see anything. But I ended up uh, getting some pretty powerful images of firefighters, you know, fighting huge balls of flames and some structures burning down, huge, giant, you know, clouds of smoke, just, you know, a lot of really powerful images. Eventually, an air tanker passed directly overhead. It released its payload, pink retardant spilling across the roads, the landscape, Jamie's car, and completely trashing my windshield. Like I put the windshield wipers on and tried squirting the windshield wiper fluid and didn't have any of that. And the windshield wipers just smeared it. And I couldn't see out my, my windshield anymore. 
and they're like, well, I don't, I'm not quite ready to be done covering this. And this is obviously the, you know, giant story. I want to, you know, keep doing my job, keep covering this, but I couldn't see out my windshield. So I put my head out the window and <laughs> that wasn't really working. And then I tried to get to a gas station just to clean my windshield. And there were huge lines at the gas stations. You couldn't, you know, I couldn't get into a gas station. His home eventually was under a level two evacuation notice or get set. And level two is the real deal to be on level two evac. So I, you know, I switched gears and became, became family guy again from there. Mail Tribune editor Justin Umberson had originally hoped for the best. Small fires that crews could pounce on quickly. Several video texts he received from Jamie, brief moments of footage he'd captured as the fire made its initial push northward up the I-5 corridor, showed him this was different. The images that that, that sort of thing brought back was just like what we saw in Paradise, California, where, you know, the, the fire slipped down the freeway and there was people trapped trying to evacuate. And, um, and so you go from, you know, wanting to, like, get your people on this fire to wanting them to get, the, get out of there and um, be safe. The newsroom was a bit short-staffed. It was the day after a holiday. Several people, yours truly included, were working remotely because of the pandemic. And as I've mentioned, my kid also had her first day of school that day. My job after that became to assess who, who was available, um, who was where, uh, who lives where, because if someone's living in Ashland or Talent, I texted them to go home and get their stuff. We, since we were limited, I started writing the initial brief of like, what's going on? What's evacu what, what evacuations do we know about? And, uh, you know, just to get something on the web. And I, I, I typed up a couple of sentences. And by the time I typed up those couple of sentences, everything was different. And so I, I just did a control A and delete and started writing another sentence. And uh, I think I, I went through that practice about three times before I finally was able to post something that was accurate and not 10 minutes behind because the fire was moving. You know, it was being pushed by 50 mile an hour winds. People wanted information, they want it now, but uh, the information wasn't, uh, wasn't coming as quickly as the fire was coming. So, you know, we had, um, we had to do breaking news, like the fire is this big and this, at this point, and evacuations are here. We had to do um, on the ground uh, reporting from people who were experiencing it. Uh, it was just uh, making sure all of your bases are covered and, and you know, you have everything that um, every aspect of the story covered as best you can because you know this is a catastrophe and we we went into catastrophe mode denise was able to get back to her home and get one of her cats and a few important belongings an inferno surrounded her when we pulled up to the house it was fire all around us we had fire on colver road we had fire uh to the east of us and you could feel the heat and you could it was raining down ash and we knew everything was go was going to be gone in the morning um, but by some miracle it wasn't so we were fortunate as of friday the jackson county sheriff's department estimated at least 2800 structures were either destroyed or damaged in the blaze at least three people have died balancing professionalism with emotion can be a hard ask in stories like this the scenes that greeted jamie andy and denise after the fires were out were no different heartbreaking and it's you know really no matter who you are in life or where you are i mean it's just impossibly difficult to see the dev devastation that that was the aftermath of that fire you know so at the same time though i mean i am a photojournalist and i've got a job to do and 
and, and I'm passionate about my profession. And I, I believe in the importance of, you know, what photojournalism spews. I'm off super lofty here, but over the history of time and since photography has been around, there's been professional trained photographers who have, you know, documented, you know, history in important ways. And I can't imagine a, a world without some of those moments in time that have been captured by professionals, you know, professional photojournalists in particular. So I, I do take pride in my work and I believe it's important. So I definitely go into work mode and believe there's, there's room enough and a place for a photographer to be at a, a, a scene of such devastation, you know, just to, to, capture, to capture it. My, my first eyes on it were actually coming through Phoenix. I just saw lives destroyed when I, once I f first got past Phoenix, that Phoenix um, overpass. It was just jaw-dropping. Um, first time in the talent, <sighs> you know, I have friends, I have businesses there that were destroyed. Um, you know, seeing it firsthand was just unreal. I mean, never expected something like this to happen in the valley like this. Um, I eventually made it up towards the manor to try to capture something shooting back on all the d devastation. And by the, when I got up there, I, I was just in awe. I mean, just, just the direct path, the wind force that had. The parts that were difficult was suddenly realizing that a uh, place that I was shooting that used to be home was somebody that I knew. And I was like, oh, that's so-and-so's home. That's awful. Um, and then moving on to the next spot and, oh boy, look at that. I know who lived there. There was also some joy in doing that as well and seeing the things that did make it because not everything burnt down. And it was like, oh look, Camelot Theater is there when the business across the street is gone. So that was a good process to go through while I was shooting. But again, I try, you know, whenever I'm in these events, you, you put your emotions aside, you put your personal involvement in it aside and you, sh and you shoot and you try and record. The image that really struck me the most, and I think it's because I had gone through all the emotions that I'd gone through with my cats prior, prior thinking that I was going to lose them, was um, all around town people had set out bowls of food and water for their missing pets around their burned houses. And that was when it really gripped me on an emotional level. And I was like, oh, and I got some of those images and shared some of those. And, and those for some reason were deeply affecting to me. So what are some of the takeaways to this? What are some of the lessons that can be learned? You know, I don't know if I really could have known to do anything differently than get on I-5 and head towards the fire. I mean, um, that's how you get to have right you get on i5 and you don't you don't really anticipate being in that dangerous of a situation but you know that wasn't good the to be there and to get turned around on i5 go the wrong way and but you know have to bug out from a fire barreling down on you so i think i'll make sure that the day before when the weather people tell us that we're looking at a 50-year fire event and they say it's extreme fire danger that I'll take that seriously. And the next day, or when those conditions are occurring, if there's fires, you know, I'll be, you know, be more careful. You know, I'll, I'll see a huge inferno and I'll just check out what the winds are going. And I'll make sure I'm not downwind of it. 
So just sort of a uh, common sense, you know, safety stuff. And also as far as um, my home and my, my family goes, if the uh, weather people say we're looking at a horrible, horrible fire event, I'll probably have us pack up some stuff and be ready. You know, not, not super crazy or anything, but some important things and have a plan and talk to the family about just how we will evacuate. So that way I can hopefully better juggle, you know, trying to cover it and then have a plan with the family first. So it's not just this panic. We need, you need to get home. We need to do this. And you know, if everyone's got a plan, I think we'll all be a little more, a little more grounded, which, which sounds uh, a lot better and a lot safer. I've never been in an experience before where what I've been doing on my job has also been immediately um, involved in what I'm doing personally. And the realization that that I had left my house to go do my job and now my house was gonna be gone and I had made that choice and the ramifications of that choice. And, and that was a hard thing to take. When this was all over, I actually did question what was more important um, for the future because I've always I've always put my job first, even in times probably when I shouldn't have. I've put it above family, I've put it above other things. And so it really made me stop and question what are my priorities and would I put my job first again? And so I had to examine within myself, what is that balance for me as a news photographer and as a person? And what kind of decisions will I make in the future if those decisions have to come up again? And that's a, that's a tough sell for me because again, I, my first instinct is, is the job is first. Uh, so it, it was good to be able to ask those personal questions and to maybe know what to do for next time if there is one. The, our Mail Tribune building became a level two evacuation. It was in a level two evacuation zone um, at one point. Uh, once the, the fire got to kind of South Medford, um, north of Phoenix, uh, uh, and our, our, our staff stayed here and they finished the job knowing um knowing like what was at stake at their own houses and um so i just uh, i just want to say that i'm very grateful to have people who who know that their uh, profession requires them to kind of uh, look danger in the face a little bit